Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We are back from vacation, and for those of you who are taking bets as to whether or not we were going to come back from our vacation, ha, you lose. <laughs> I can't believe people actually took bets as to whether or not we would come back from vacation. Well, it, We have to pay for this somehow. It was a really long break, so I'm sure folks were wondering whether or not vacation. we were back. It was. It was a very good vacation, too. Um We'll probably, I'm sure, hit a lull at some point and discuss it, but let's just suffice it to say that it was an excellent trip and a not-so-great cruise. Yeah. I would give the cruise mediocre. You keep saying not-so-great, and it sounds like, you know, we were on one of the doomed cruise ships that were floating around the middle of the ocean without electricity, and that's not the truth. Well, we weren't, and actually, not-so-great has not really been what I've been saying. I've been a bit more critical. Yes, that's in my why comments. I'm trying to temper so. <laughs> you and explain that possibly mediocre is the word you're really looking for. I don't know yet. We shall see as time passes and, and I get to further process the events of the last couple of weeks, which, like I said, I'm sure there's going to be a slower week in a bit and we will talk about what we did and where we went and. Uh, that adventure on many different levels it was an adventure but remember what doesn't kill you makes you stronger you know i tried to tell you that when we got on the ship coming out of morocco and you didn't believe me at all i don't remember you trying to tell me that all i remember is my desperate need to take a shower to wash morocco off my body and on that note let's move on to something else okay more ways to spend money? That works. Um, you know, we and we've commented about this a lot, is that if you want to support Formula One and Formula One teams in particular and buy their merchandise and buy their kit and gear and accessories and all that, it's really flippin' expensive. I mean, like, stupid expensive. Well, this time of year. Well, unless you find a defunct Formula One team and you buy well, stuff at that. auction, and then you pay a stupid <laughs> amount of money to have the gear shipped to you. But yeah, not, not no judging here. Oh come on, it was worth it, and you know it. It was worth it for you to have two identical t-shirts, not t-shirts, chambray shirts with Manor Racing written on They're them. They're nice shirts. You have two identical ones. I know. You're just waiting for the boy to grow up so that he can get wear one of them, right? No, I'm just very disappointed that you would not let me buy the race jacks. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted you to buy the front wing, but you kept saying how much stupid expensive that would be to ship over here. No, you told me I couldn't spend $5,000 on a wing. Okay, well, there was that. <laughs> anyway, back to things that people don't have to spend $5,000 for and do it in an auction. As we have mentioned before, if you want team gear and accessories and souvenirs and stuff, it can be stupid expensive. Well, this is also the time of year that teams are going, you know, we're getting rid of last year's design for the team wear, and we haven't sold all of it, and last year's logos, and we need new stuff for this year with the new sponsors and all that stuff. But we got to move all this old inventory. Or to remove the sponsors that have now left you. I'm looking at you, McLaren. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there's that. I, you know, yeah. th that's the reason why the team gear has to change every year is because you either gain yeah. or lose, McLaren, um, sponsors. 
and then they tended to change up the look and feel a little bit of the of the kit every year we may finally get to drop the stupid fade on the mclaren shirts you know we can only hope um but now is the time to go check out the various teams and even the formula one uh store on their website for some pretty good deals out there mercedes is doing on their uh team's website uh, a lot of the 2017 gear is between 30 to 50 percent off some of it especially the t-shirts is actually affordable now i mean it's a little expensive for a t-shirt but it's actually affordable there's still stuff that's ridiculous you know like the the men's team rain jacket that is still 131 dollars the rain jacket's 131 the is that rain mercedes jacket. yes that's the mercedes range and is that the silver one with the black pocket no this is it, it's very similar it's it's black with the sponsors logos and, and silver trim um it, it's essentially the same as the silver one you're thinking of but it's in black oh okay I mean, there's. I would give you the top tip that if you are a Mercedes, Red Bull, or Ferrari fan, go check out Puma. Go check out Puma.com because they often do some great sales too. Yeah. But uh, a, a lot of the teams are, are trying to liquidate merchandise. Uh, the previous year's team get, uh, kit, things of that nature, especially drivers that are fired. Any of their stuff that that's great pickings right there. Yeah, you could pick up some good Williams Massa stuff. Yeah, um, this would be the year to do that. Um, yeah, you know, if you're a Sauber fan, you may find a Pascal Verline item or two. Yeah, um, I, I'm sure Daniel Kvyat's items for Toro Rosso are on fire sale too. Oh, I, I, I thought for his they just hordes of fans. I, I, I thought they just dropped them into the bonfire period, but <laughs> they yeah. didn't bend everything. They just <laughs> bend him. Um, but you know, this is all about this time of year is all about the teams are cleaning out their closets. They're getting ready to start afresh in 2018. They've put 2017 behind them. They've start. They're starting fresh. So, so they're, they're reintroducing what they're doing. They're reintroducing themselves, <laughs> yes. Um, now, we all know that the Formula One teams have actually started looking at the engines and their body designs of their 2018 season well long ago, six, eight months ago, as they were gearing up for the 2018 season. We, however, gear up for the 2018 season while on vacation. Makes sense. Well, I mean, it's the most show prep we've ever done in our entire career. It was, and we didn't even finish it. Well, that's because we got interrupted, and then there was a whole lot of Irish coffees involved. Yeah, well. Um, anyway, so what I wanted to mention is that we've had the opportunity to create our 2018 vision board for the bloke in the bird show. Partially. Remember, it wasn't finished. Okay, there were Irish coffees involved. Let's just leave it at that. Um, but we started to look and... Um, decide to look at how we wanted to frame our purpose as the bloke and the bird. Now, don't get scared. We are not going to change the focus of what is now, what is this now, our fourth podcast? Well, it, it depends. No, actually, <laughs> I think we're at three. We're at three. But it also depends. This is the second 
This is the reboot of the oh. old Bloke, Bloke and the Bird. So. But this this reboot was really Formula One focused, and we are not changing that. That's not what we were talking about. But we have a very specific slant on the Formula One world that we want to make sure is front and center in all that we do. Basically, this is the reason why we don't do race reviews. Well, the, the other thing to point out is, is that, yes, we are primarily Formula One focused. That does not mean that something that interests us from IndyCar, especially since that is what we have for open wheel racing close to us that we can get to and afford to attend. Um, but even some Formula One or, or Formula E or WEC or any of the Basically other series. Basically not trucks in NASCAR. <clears throat> And, and even then, if there is something that truly is ridiculously outlandish. Or mildly entertaining. We will probably take a look at it because it's entertaining to us. And, and that's really what the whole goal of. That's basically all we wrote <clears throat> in our vision board. <laughs> it, it is. It, you know, the, the whole goal of what we look at and what we talk about is it is things that are entertaining to us and we hope are entertaining to our listeners, or at least how we present it or mock it or whatever. <clears throat> but we also have a sub goal. So, yes, entertainment, enjoyment, to take the seriousness off of these motorsport activities and have a lighthearted fun and a lighthearted look at what's going on. But the subtext below that is to also take a fairly serious look at the strategy and the inner workings of the way teams think and, and operate. Um, we like the gossip. The gossip. We like we a lot the of the inside show. baseball. Um, this is this is about the gossip, and from that it seems very logical that we then, you know, you, you don't tune in to us to hear a turn by turn recap of any race, um, mostly because we're not one hundred percent sure that both of us are awake through every turn by turn. <laughs> um, I kid. Well, th there's that, and there's also, admittedly, to provide a podcast like that. Besides the fact that we'd we're have not to sure. know more. Well, I, w I was going to say that it, it was pr provided that I'm not sure that our listeners want to hear that kind of a thing, but to provide a, a podcast like that, truly, like you mentioned, we, we have to pay more attention. We'd have to take notes and remember that this pass happened at this time and did this. And no, we watch the races because we enjoy them, not because we want to work at it. We are, and I've just <coughs> had it. I'm completing our vision board as we as we talk. I've had the the inspiration. We are the casual fans' guide to the gossip of Formula One. Okay, but not just Formula One or motorsports. Motorsport, motorsports in, in, general. in general. Sorry, Some, I keep going back to my first law. Just when it comes to motorsports, we're, we're more casual about some than others. <laughs> yes, that's. <laughs> <laughs> we are the casual <clears throat> fans' guide to motorsports. Just more casual about some than others. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. Our vision board is now complete. Okay. You, we will frame it and hang it in, above our podcasting studio if we only had one. The, <laughs> or an the, actual vision board. <laughs> the glass enclosed nerve center. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, some people call that a uh, psych ward, but okay. <laughs> It's much like the prison that was in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> there are no padded walls. Nobody no, there is wearing padded we walls there. Nobody is wearing weird headgear. <laughs> I'm 
strapped to a a a, a hand dolly. Yeah. No. Um. There there is none of that. Let's be clear. <laughs> <laughs> but we're apparently in a glass enclosed uh, nerve center. Nerve center. Okay. Go with that. All right. So now that we have done that little piece of uh, wahoo. Well, we should also point Vision. out that we, we've got some other things that that we want to look to do over the coming year. We want to we're, we're talking about some changes to the website and some other things to to better better focus. Well, actually, it may be actually of, focus. Actually, I was going to say it might actually diversify some things, but to better encompass what we want from our online presence. Let's put it that way. Yes. It may and be a little was, diverse, but... That was of the, you know, 10, 20 minutes that we spent designing our vision board. That was one of the big things that we really wanted to... That has come out is that we really wanted to improve the bits and pieces of what does this. We think that we are bringing the right entertainment to the podcast, but then there's all this, the other pieces around it that we want to start stepping our game. I won't even say up. I would say, like, slightly higher. I mean, th one of the things that we have tried to do, and, and, and actually I have tried to do and haven't been able to do consistently, is we get a lot of content from the teams. Mm -hmm. um, Red Bull and Williams in particular, and even Haas, provide us with a lot of content, and we just don't get to share it as much as we need to because some of it is really, really good. So we're going to try and be better about that in the coming year. We'll see what happens. But that's the goal, or one of the goals. I think it was a noble goal. Um, all right. So with that vision in mind. Formula E. Okay. Be quiet so you can hear it. Shh, shh, quiet. Shh. Did you hear it? No. We were you just can't passed. hear it. We were just passed by four cars. You didn't <laughs> We just, you cannot hear it. I'm going to step in front of them and cross the street and run into a problem because you can't hear them. Well, um, this year they were supposed – the Formula E season is 2017-18 season. Because it, it runs over the holidays. It, it does. Um, this year's season was supposed to have its season finale as a doubleheader in Montreal this summer. Uh, Montreal has decided that, yeah, we don't want Formula E anymore. Go away. And they, the race has been canceled. How do they do that? New mayor came in and said, uh, yeah, don't want to do this. The new mayor came in. Where they were racing Formula E was in downtown. Right. Good. And that's the big Which advantage is, to Formula E. On one hand, yes, because you keep it around the fans. But – it causes a disruption, as any of these races do. Well, the new mayor didn't want that and was trying to get the series to move to the outskirts. They were resisting, and she turned around and said, well, all right, fine, go away. Don't want you here. Wow. Yeah. Whoa, that's a game of chicken that they lost at. Yeah, um, according to a Formula E spokesman, uh, who released a statement to Autosport. He said, We are very surprised and disappointed by the unilateral decision and announcement of the mayor of Montreal. This is a clear case of a new mayor undoing what the previous mayor did. 
Whilst there is a contract in place, we will not make further comments at this point as this is now in the hands of our Canadian legal counsel. Well, very interesting. Yeah. They didn't know you could just cancel a racement season. Uh, well, we had Boston do that two years ago with uh, IndyCar. No, that's true. So things can come up and cause issues. Confusion and delay. There you go. Thank you, Sir Topham Hat. Hey, <laughs> anytime I can loop in a good Thomas the Tank Engine reference. Yeah. So over to Formula One. This year was a year of very big changes to Formula One's social media and digital engagement strategy. Okay, Best way to so put it. wait a second. You know, they're simpler among us. Need help. You were going to ask whether or not the fan experience was detonated? No. Oh. I wanted to start with a simple question of which year is this year? Remember, we've turned over a calendar year. Is it 2018 or 2017 that you're talking about? 2017. Okay, so last year was the year of okay. fan detonation. We <clears throat> detonated whole fans in social media. This past year. How's that? Is that is that better? Yes. Okay. Well, um, a lot of big change. I'm sorry. I'm trying to find my notes here. There we go. A lot of big changes came to how Formula One approached social media and it, how it engaged with the fans, not the least of which is um, removing the restriction on teams and to some extent drivers for shooting video trackside and posting and sharing that video. Right. And we, saw, we got a lot of video during testing and, and throughout the year that the team shot on the spot and shared with everybody. Well, they have released um, the numbers that they have seen uh, from both social media, television, and digital audiences uh, for 2017. And they have seen, uh, in some cases, pretty significant growth compared to previous seasons. Shocking, I know. Okay, but in comparison, when you're... <coughs> Your social media presence was close to zero. Uh, no, it wasn't. I, I wouldn't go that far. It was limited at best. It, it was limited, but there was a social media presence. There were things posted up on Twitter. They did have an active Facebook presence. Now, whether that was content that generated views and things, that's a different story. But they did have a presence. So F1 said that the cumulative audience, which is the aggregate of the average audience of all F1 programming in the top 20 markets, was 1.4 billion, which represents an increase of 6.2% over 2016. The top four markets were Germany, Brazil, Italy, and the United Kingdom, with all registering positive growth. F1 said 352.2 million unique viewers watched F1 programming at least once, with bosses saying this is the first time since 2010 that that number has not fallen. There was a huge boost in social media interaction with F1, totaling 11.9 million followers on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. F1 made a big push with its social media and digital platforms across the season, like I said, relaxing restrictions, but also significantly increased the amount of video content it makes available on its own platforms. F1 added the minutes spent on Facebook were up over 1,600% compared to 2016, while there were 64 million views of its content up on Twitter, which is 165% up year on year. 
So there is much more interaction than they have seen in the past. Well, that was expected. I mean, as you start to do more, people will see more and interact more. Uh, yeah, the, the question truly becomes, okay, now that you're getting more views and you're getting more impressions and likes and more interactions, how does that translate into race attendance and race viewership? Well, that's, that's going to be the critical question because does it? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of requirements in this day and age for marketers that you need to have that it's really strong social media presence. It's a price of entry and things like that. But at the same time, the marketing circles are spending a lot of time going, yes, you have to do all of this, but you can't expect to monetize any of it. Yeah. And that's an important piece because 10 years ago, as things were starting to emerge, social media was, you have to do this and you're going to make millions at it. Yeah. It, you're it, not going to. It was that expectation of that you had to make money off of these investments. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping, and this is where it becomes key to having good social content and consistent social content is to understand that your social content doesn't have to make you money. It may not have a one-to-one -one ROI proposition, but it has goodwill. And goodwill turns into ROI, but it, it takes a couple of extra steps. Yeah. So Jean Todd has put forward an idea that Formula One looked at and the FIA looked at in the late 2000s. He, he's pushing this idea of what he's calling a global engine. A global engine? What the idea is, and it's specifically around taking the engine used in Formula One, this pricey, expensive engine that... Honda loves so much. Honda loves so much, seems to be a dead end in some cases, that teams are pushing to go elsewhere because of how expensive it is. It is to take that engine and incorporate it into other series. With the idea that if you had to manufacture more of them, the price would go down? Exactly. And the, the more teams and the more flexibility you have with this engine, the more development that can be done to it, and the easier to underwrite the cost for doing that development because you've got more customers for the engine and the engine specification. But in the short term, it means that the engines will get more expensive for the other series because you won't have the economy of scale built in year one. Well, that's the question of, of I mean, the, these wouldn't be entirely brand new engines. They already exist. There is some degree of the economy of scale there. But now you've got to ramp up your production to accommodate additional demand. It's a incredibly tiny economy of scale today. If you're yeah, going by to comparison. Add, okay, if for example, if you were to add series like let's say we just did Formula Two and Formula Three and gave them all the same engine, mm -hmm. um, you're going to essentially quintuple your production on something that is essentially hand built. Yeah, possibly. That's that's where it becomes although short-term problem one of the directions that that john todd is proposing isn't necessarily the junior formulas but looking at the wec and in particular the lmp1 class because his position and his feeling is that with the big push to more reliable longer life engines 
it makes these engines more th this specification more suitable for endurance racing mm. okay I, I see the point i still hold that at least in the short term it's going to be very expensive yeah i i think he's also pushing that even if there's a change to the, the the current formula one engine to accommodate something like this if formula one and the fia in general took the position of whatever engine say formula one takes or lmp1 or whoever whatever engine that they take it, it's a specification it has to be adopted by other series it has a much bigger impact on overall the numbers and what they do in terms of using engines in different series. Yeah. Because now at this point, you, you don't have, you're not designing an engine for three teams. You may be designing an engine for eight teams. But here's my issue. Mm -hmm. Then you have reduced these various forms of motorsport into a bodywork company bodywork is the difference and that's one of the questions i mean because then essentially what becomes the difference between the lmp1 car and a formula one car the body yeah kind of no it's just, i don't think i like that idea well, I mean, there, there's a little more to it than that because F1 is always going to be a shorter distance. There, there's going to be different strategies involved and, and things of that nature. Okay, but so there's some it does make them a lot and closer. Rule differences, but yeah, you're talking about as far as what the cars are and what they could do, it's a game of bodywork and suspension. Yeah. I don't like it. Jean Todd, take it off the table. Okay. Well, what about this? The the FIA is looking to clamp down on teams using steering angle to gain an aerodynamic advantage. Steering angle? So what the what the concern is is that and and, and it's a known function in a way the steering works on especially in a Formula 1 car is that when you turn the wheel Mm -hmm. especially when you go all the way to the lock on one end or the other, from the angle of the wheels, the front end, the, the height of the front end changes because of the car leaning over on the tires. Right. And it lowers the front end. Well, the teams have figured out that knowing that there is that change in ride height, there's an aerodynamic advantage to be gained in turns. And have designed, well, there is suspicion that they have designed systems that could potentially give them an aerodynamic grip or an aerodynamic benefit. This has Adrian Newey's name all over it, 100%. So a technical directive sent by Charlie Whiting uh, a, a week or so ago made it clear the governing body believes that in 2017 some teams designed their suspension and steering systems to lower the front ride height and cornering like i said potentially providing aerodynamic benefit and increasing grip now charlie acknowledged that a ride height change under steering lock is normal but he says that from now on it cannot exceed five millimeters and that it's up to the teams to provide proof that the systems of their 2018 cars will comply oh my 
Now, the matter was discussed in detail with team technical directors at the most recent FIA technical regulations meeting in London back on November 21st. And there were conflicting views on how much influence suspension should be allowed to have on aerodynamics. In effect, teams now have to decide whether they can afford to take a risk and carry on with their intended 2018 designs or build their cars to the new interpretation. One team insider told Autosport, now my prediction, just knowing who tends to open his mouth more, is that this was probably Christian Horner. <laughs> I don't know this for sure. I'm just guessing that this was probably Christian Horner. He said, I suspect it can't be policed anyway, and teams will just ignore it. It's just the FIA's view. It's not actually the law. Nothing will change. That's not Horner. It's Newey. Uh, yeah, it's possible. I think it was Christian Horner just because he does a lot. Yeah, also possible. Or the other person that that sounds like, Nikki Lauda. I don't think it was. Mm. I, don't, I don't think it was. He do, doesn't normally comment on things like this, or he hasn't recently. Let's put it that way. But he is the type of person <clears throat> that would make the comment of, well, nothing's going to change because it's not the law. Therefore, nothing will yeah. change. McLaren. You Are know, they still in Formula One? They're still in Formula One. Okay. They, 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 they're not quite, this year in, in particular, they were not quite the Cleveland Browns of, of Formula One. Previous years, yes. Not this year. Okay. Just to be clear. But Zach Brown, when he was hired as, what is he like, executive director, whatever his role is, the Grand Poobah last year, one of his goals, he said, was to get Grand them. Grand Poobah. <laughs> All I see is the Flintstones episode with the, the big hat. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he's got one. Okay. Um, but anyway. Sorry, you had to say Pooba. One of his goals, he said, was to get McLaren a title sponsor for 2018. So they totally got one, right? Um. Well. Who's it going to be? Like somebody with a really big name? Hugo Boss is coming back to the sport, right? Um... Who else could it be? Oh, I know they're going to get sponsored by a, a like a Tesco or a Sainsbury. Well, it, it turns out that um, when you have a, a crap box of an engine, it makes it harder to find sponsors, especially title sponsors. Uh oh. Yeah. So Zach Brown is now saying that. I don't think we're going to have a title sponsor per se. What I think we're going to have are major partners. Okay. So what he says. Junior title sponsors. Well, he says, if you look at F1, no one really refers to the name of the team's title partner. So I don't think there's a lot of value. We're McLaren. We're not ABC McLaren. There's major branding, but we don't want to sell the title. We want to remain the same of we want to remain the name of the team, McLaren. In NASCAR, the drivers are trained to get out of the car and say, I'd like to thank my Shandon Ford today. That doesn't happen in Formula One, so we want to protect our brand. We have signed some sponsors, but I don't know exactly when we're going to announce them. We're we're not done yet, so all sponsors are welcome. We've got a lot of excitement. There's a good buzz around F1. TV ratings are up, live attendance is up, new owner, strategic vision, so there's momentum behind F1. And then there's momentum behind McLaren. We've got Fernando, we've got Stoffel, we've got Lando, Lando coming through the ranks. We've got a new engine partner, so generally we feel that there's some wind at the tail as opposed to a headwind. Hmm. 
It's what he says. It's his words, not mine. Okay. Yeah. Right now, honestly, the, the focus for Zach and McLaren is uh, testing this past week down in Daytona for uh, 24 hour the, the Rolex 24 hour race. Um, Fernando has been driving in the endurance car with Lando Norris and the whole crowd and, and all of that stuff. Um, I haven't looked too too closely to see where he's at. Remember, some series were more casual than others. <laughs> <laughs> some drivers are a little more casual than oh, others yeah, too. Um. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got nothing there. I was sitting here kind of thinking back as to like what good sponsors could we find for. McLaren, and I think we should throw it out to our uh, listening public. I, I want to find a good match for McLaren, a Phoenix rising from the ashes type of brands um, that somebody. So Microsoft. Possibly. Um, Apple, Nokia. <laughs> Apple went through it also. Um, Nokia. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> um, you know, something that has endured hardship and that would be a good partnering match somebody that would really understand mclaren's plight in life yeah but dodge is already tied in with fiat (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) um so i just thought that maybe our show's listening public would like to weigh in on what a good not maybe title sponsor because they're not looking for a title sponsor. They're 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 really taking this year to focus on themselves and they're not dating this year title sponsors. So they're gonna be looking at more casual dating. They're they're it's complicated. Their title sponsorship relationship is it's complicated. But they're gonna be really looking at themselves and I think we should give them some suggestions of people they should partner with. All right, Zach Brown, this is your chance to to, to get the input from those who care. Or don't. <laughs> Depending on how, our, how casual our relationship is with you right now. Um, but I, I think that there's, there's, there are wittier people out there that are going to come up with some amazing sponsors that uh, McLaren could partner with. Ones that really understand. Well, speaking of partners. The Pinto comes to mind. No, it has to be something that still exists. <gasps> yeah, that, that's why... It, AMC isn't going to work either. <laughs> that's, those are what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that of today. Which, which is the the smartphone that keeps blowing up in people's pockets? Um, Samsung's. So the Note should be sponsoring McLaren. Well, it would be Samsung, but anyway. Okay. Yeah, but they make be- good TVs. It's got to be specifically the Note. Okay. Haas, in particular, Gunther Steiner, has said that they would be open to an Alfa Romeo Sauber-style rebranding as well, while we're talking about title sponsors and rebranding. But I thought they were Ferrari's junior team. Well, okay, think about that, though, okay? Ferrari's junior team. Alfa is part of the Ferrari stable, Mm -hmm. and the decision was made to do that with Sauber and not Haas. Think about that. That's true. 
Now, asked by Autosport if Ferrari had ever discussed Haas getting Alpha branding, Gunther Steiner replied, no, not with us, nothing. Now, there are some rumors that have been flying around that Haas could be in line for a Maserati link-up. Uh, Gunther Steiner says, yeah, that's probably not going to happen, but his team would be open to any such approach. He said, why not? We're open always to talks. If somebody's got some ideas, yeah, for sure we're interested in it. But is it our priority? Maybe not. But the thing you got to wonder about Haas, and you look at their cars, and, and this is a concern just like it has been for Sauber, there's no sponsors. All of the backing, all of the money, the sponsorship, is from Haas Automation, Gene Haas's company. Correct. That's it. Nothing from the from the the NASCAR side or anything like that. They're able to, to do any kind of cross branding, any of that kind of stuff, to bring over money. Um, that's a problem. Hmm. I mean, th think about it. The money that it costs to be in Formula One. If you can't get sponsors, you're not going to live. And even uh, Gunther says, I think that it's a priority. It's just difficult to get sponsors. You see it on the other teams, the big teams, even they struggle. And for us as a small team, it's even more difficult. And then what we need to avoid is to give ourselves away too cheap because then you never recover. If you sell yourself cheap, you never get value for it anymore. Mm, interesting. I wonder if any of their limitation on sponsors has been they're in that waiting period where they can't make any money from Formula One. But you'd think that people would talk about them more so they get more airtime in their early years. Well, you know, and, and they should be out of it now. It's either two or three years that, that, that you come out of that. But even still, it, that's just that you can't get your prize fund money. It's not that you can't make money off of Formula One. It's just right. you don't get money out of the prize fund for some stupid reason. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense, even though they've completed seasons higher than McLaren. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. I don't know. But, they, I mean, sponsorship is a big deal. It's important. But... Just take a second because this is the only thing that just really struck me. Think about the fact that Gene Haas's company mm -hmm. has the money to float a Formula One team for more than one year at the stupid expensive rates that floating an F1 team costs mm -hmm. without sponsors. In and addition to a NASCAR team and I think he may be in other series as well. But think about the money that, you know, that's like sitting in the boardroom and going, okay, we're going to do our budget this year. And, you know, NASCAR's line item, we spend X dollars, we bring in from sponsors and everything else, X dollars, that evens out. We're going to spend in this other series Y dollars, and we bring in Y dollars, that evens out. But over here in Formula One, we're going to spend Z dollars, and we're not going to bring in any sponsors' dollars to offset that Z, so we're just going to burn Z dollars. It does make me wonder how much money Stuart Haas Racing on the NASCAR side brings in and if there is funding coming from the NASCAR side to help support the Formula One side and what they're doing to keep the Formula, you know, how much support they're getting from the NASCAR side to keep the Formula One side going. Yeah, I mean, that that's also 
an important question, but whoa, just the very thought it's that you've got box. a line item without a supplemental, you know, a supplemental income that goes against it. And what justification on the RO, and, you know, that's the meeting I want to have is where do you think your ROI is coming from? Because you got to be doing this for publicity for something. It's not done out of the generosity of Gene Haas's heart. Well, you, you got to think it's got to be somewhere between 100 to 120 million easily mm-hmm. a year for this program. But the other thing, though, and, and, and may, this may play into it to some extent, is the machinery and tools that Haas Automation makes, it would not surprise me if every single Formula One team utilizes those tools. Well, that, that could be part of the equation. Yeah. That could definitely be part of the equation. But okay. I don't know. Speaking of Haas, um, again, some of the self-reviews still trickling in, and, and some are more interesting than others. Haas acknowledged that um, they struggled particularly in the second half of the season because um, they took their focus away from the 2017 car. Ooh. They they believe at this point now that they turned their attention to development on 2018 too soon, mm. and as a result, it impacted their performance this year. Well, that's typically what happens when you take your eye off the ball. Well, you know, that, that that's one of the big questions with Formula One, and, and the question that you have to ask yourself as a team is that at what point – especially when there's a major rule change, and we didn't really have one this year, but especially when there's a major rule change, at what point do you change your development focus? At what point do you stop developing the current year's car and you just say, this is the best we're getting out of this, even though other folks may continue to be developing, and start looking at next year and and move your resources over? Well, and that's a resourcing issue because in a team that's as large as like Mercedes – they have they'll have parallel teams going. They will start developing the 2019 car and engine the day the 2018 season starts. They will, but it it's still that question of at what point in the season do you say, okay, we have done everything we need to to keep this car competitive for the remainder of the season, or do we need to continue to be plunging development work all the way through until the very last race of the season, knowing that those resources are only good till the, you know, for, for that one race? And then everything gets reprogrammed. You know, at what point, as the, your returns diminish as you get closer to the end of the season, do you start reprogramming resources? Right. I understand. But if you have the resources to have parallel teams, which mm-hmm. not all the teams have, so let's just say – we're going to look at engine development. Mm-hmm. And let's say there are 20 people that could possibly be put on engine development, whether it's in season or next season. On day one of the 2018 season, you may have 18 people working on the 2018 season development and two mm-hmm. people working on the 2019. Right. And you take those numbers, and it's a teeter-totter, and you start stacking them greater on 2019 throughout the season – but somebody like a Mercedes may still have two people developing the 2018 season all the way to the last race. Where a Sauber had zero people working on the development. Well, there was no point in it. So. <laughs> but, <laughs> they weren't getting upgrades anyway. So, 
but Haas, obviously, their teeter-totter flipped a little earlier than it should have. And I'm yeah. glad they're recognizing it. Now, it's it's a very delicate balance, and we know that. But it's very key that you kind of keep somebody still, even if it's the one person keeping the lights on for the 18 engine. You got to keep somebody doing that because there's almost always some tweak you can make that'll get you a little bit further down the, the grid. Keep going, Haas. We're rooting for you. <laughs> so every year, we're not invited to it, but every year, Ferrari hosts a pre-Christmas media dinner. Well, we didn't get invited because we were on vacation. We were in Europe. They knew we were on vacation. <clears throat> you weren't checking your email. You don't know if you didn't get invited. No, actually, I reached out to Ferrari, and, and, and Ferrari does not want to talk to us. I, I have tried. We have been turned down by Ferrari. They do not like us. What did you do? I don't know. I bet you you've ticked them off somewhere along the line. No, actually, their response had something to do with not real press. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Interestingly, that was the similar response we got to my request to the FIA as well of not real press. Okay, perhaps yeah. we need to readjust our vision board to take <laughs> so much casualness out of our casual reviews. <laughs> but anyway, Ferrari held a pre-Christmas media dinner for the folks that they believed were real press. And Sergio Marchionne spoke. Oh, what did Sergio have to say? He said that 2018, 2018, this is Kimmy's last chance. Kimmy's last chance to what? Drink and drive on the Formula One grid? No, no, no. It, it, to, he, it, it, Sergio admits that Kimmy's form has not been at its best and has not been for several years. Well, Kimmy, this is his last chance to get his form back up is what Sergio says. He says, my personal opinion is that if we find the right key, Raikkonen drives like a god. But we need to find it. When things go right, it's a pleasure to see him driving. In other moments, it seems like he takes a break. He needs more consistency in terms of performance. But it's important to find the right key to make him driving like in Monaco, also on other circuits. Probably this is the last season to find the right key, and we must do it. It would be a shame if he would leave F1 without showing his real potential. We see Leclerc, Verstappen, Giovinazzi, drivers with great skills who can deliver a big, charge, a big change in the driver market. I'm still happy to have chosen Leclerc. I think that if we cannot find the right key for Raikkonen, the choice will fall on a young driver. Well, okay. I, mean, I feel like we've sung the song of Kimmy's Last Chances, and this is the 97th verse of that. Yeah, I know. But here's the thing. Kimmy's also the oldest driver on the grid. Mm -hmm. He's old by Formula One standards. Not by my standards, because he's younger than me, but he's old. Yeah. Like, there's, there's cobwebs on the man. But the other thing is that if Ferrari wants to win a Constructors' Championship, mm -hmm. let alone a Drivers' Championship, but if they want to win a Constructors' Championship they have a much better chance of doing it when they have two drivers who are solidly in their points performing at their best. And arguably, 
Kimmy has not necessarily been doing that, or at least Kimmy's best is not necessarily good enough for where Ferrari believes it should be. Well, right. Now, if you're Sebastian Vettel, Kimmy's best right now is perfect because Kimmy's not challenging him. Right, but there's no trophies coming to Ferrari, which puts pressure on both the drivers. Right. Now, as a not-Ferrari fan, I think this is phenomenal. I think Kimmy drives amazing. (laughs) And as much as I keep going, is this going to be the year that Kimmy leaves, I have to remind myself, but if Kimmy leaves, they could get somebody good. Just just remember, not real media. (laughs) Still... Ferrari has also announced their first team to announce their plans for 2018 reveal. Oh. Um, They will launch next year's design on Thursday, February 22nd with an online reveal before the car is taken to Barcelona early for a filming day ahead of testing starting on the following Monday, February 26th. Okay. So that will be when we see the Ferrari car for the first time. Now... I predict <clears throat> it's going to be red. It's going to be red, but they'll, they'll be white. Some, they'll be they'll be white because white makes it faster. Yes, and there'll be a little bit of gold. Now, what we also know about the 2018 car for Ferrari is that it has passed the FIA frontal crash test. Uh, the car, internally known as the 669, uh, passed the test at the FIA-approved CSI facility near Milan under the supervision of technical director Mattia Benotto last Friday. Actually, no, I'm sorry. This was just before Christmas. Okay. So, so last Friday being the Friday yeah. before Christmas. Now. They hit that exactly two months before the scheduled launch of the car on February 22nd. So they've got plenty of room for development work to continue. Cool. So over to Mercedes. Yes. Last year, if you remember, going into last year, uh, Mercedes held a contest to design Lewis Hamilton's helmet. Right. We did not enter. Conversely, we did not have an entry that won. Well, you, at least as of right now, you cannot do that for Lewis's helmet, but they are doing it. They just announced for Valtteri. Oh, we can design Valtteri's helmet. Yes. So, and, and this isn't the helmet he will use at every race. Mercedes says it is the helmet he will use for most races. Mm. But there's a template you can download from Mercedes' uh, Formula One website. If you have an interest in doing it, we suspect or, or we recommend putting the bloke and the bird somewhere on there. I, I think that, I, that, that would I, be I think that key. would definitely give you give you an inside line. So <laughs> <laughs> And if you do that and there's like a voting piece, let us know and we'll vote for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Mercedes, uh, Mercedes has we're talking about how they try to get an idea, an understanding of their diva of a car, as they put it. Uh, In particular, it was chief designer John Owen who admitted that the initial difficulties with the car had surprised the team, given their, quote, forensic approach to design and engineering. Mm. He said, with this car, we didn't understand it, and I think the term diva came along because we seemed to do what looked like the right things, and it didn't respond the way we wanted it to. 
In those early races, we were pretty confused, to be honest, and we really didn't know what we should do. Um, they traced the, the struggles to aspects of how the car worked, the rear tires in particular. He said, throughout the year, our car was probably heavier on its rear tires. Some were heavier on their front tires. It's trying to work out the best way to run your car to balance the wear on both ends. And as we noticed, tracks like Silverstone and Montreal and Monza, Austin, Suzuka, the fast tracks were really good for them. But the slower tracks, the hot circuits, that's where they really struggled. Mm -hmm. So he admitted that that was the issue. Well, I hope that they're taking that into advisement for their 2018 car. Now, the other question with Mercedes had been around reliability. Mm -hmm. um, now, Chief Engineer Phil Prue said that the team would continue to push their 2018 power unit to the edge of reliability limits. A big concern this year, knowing that they're down to just three engines. Um, he said, because simply turning down the engine to meet uh, the new requirements is not going to win us championships. Oh, yep. He says, to be honest, we will always be at the edge because you will always want to push the performance up to the durability of the power unit. It's easy to turn down a power unit and find reliability. We don't want to do that. That's not going to win us championships. So we will be busy understanding our current limitations, understanding how we can continue to get more mileage out of the engines, more mileage out of the electrical hybrid systems, so that we can get through next year's championship with the prescribed number of units, not have any penalties on the track, and deliver the level of performance we all know the engine is capable of. Yay. <laughs> Go forth and design. <laughs> whatever I'm, I'm i'm here for you i'm yes i i have nothing to say to that go for it make a great car make it fun it's all i want to see i want to see a car have fun on the track well we are hoping that this year with the return of the french grand prix that we will have some good racing and some good fun yes Lewis Hamilton doesn't think that the return to Paul Ricard is going to be that great. Okay. He doesn't like the track. He thinks oh, that it would have been better for um, for Formula One to go to Magna Coors instead of Paul Ricard. He has driven the track. He drove the track um, earlier this year uh, as part of the tire testing. Mm -hmm. um, he said, talking about Paul Ricard, he said, honestly, I don't like it, just to be straight with you. I loved it when we used to have the Grand Prix in Magna Coors. Paul Ricard is in a beautiful place, but the track, when I say I don't like it, it's not as great as Magna Coors. I think the most important thing is that we do have a Grand Prix back in France because it's an important part of Europe. It's an important part of the European tour. France has so many beautiful, beautiful circuits. Le Mans, for example. And for some reason, we don't have it at the most beautiful track. It doesn't register for me. He said, I'm sure it will be an amazing weekend. Maybe we'll have the best race of the whole season there. Well, I mean, arguably, some of the uglier tracks we've had some good racing on. Yeah. Um, I, I get a little suspicious when Lewis says he doesn't like a track because when he doesn't like a track, he doesn't tend to do well, and that bothers me. Yeah, but he, he loves Monaco, and he doesn't do well there either. Truth. True. But... I do. I'm always amused by Lewis's design ethos driving his his uh, commentary. Yeah, because picking a track based on whether or not it's pretty 
is not what I would use as my definition of a good track or not a good track. Pretty doesn't weigh in. Drivability, passing, um, the ability to enjoy the race, all of those things are higher on my list than it's pretty. Yeah. Well, Lewis also, around the same time that this happened, this was just after Christmas, around the same time that he released these comments, he got himself into a bit of trouble. Oh. So he, he po- post tem- telemetry results again? Um, no, he didn't do that. He posted a video that he shared up on uh, Instagram that was filmed, it appears to be on Christmas Day. Now, the video's since been taken down, but he's taking a video of um, his cousin, I believe, his nephew. Um, his nephew was wearing a pink and purple dress while holding a toy magic wand. And Lewis asked him in the video, why are you wearing a princess dress? Is this what you got for Christmas? Now the boy starts laughing as Lewis continues, why did you ask for a princess dress for Christmas? Boys don't wear princess dresses. Obviously, he got a lot of heat for this. You think? So he put up on Twitter um, a couple of tweets in response to this. Yesterday, I was playing around with my nephew and realized that my words were inappropriate, so I removed the post. I meant no harm and did not mean to offend anyone at all. I love that my nephew feels free to express himself as we all should. My deepest apologies for my behavior as I realize it is really not acceptable for anyone, no matter where you are from, to marginalize or stereotype anyone. I have always been in support of anyone living their life exactly how they wish, and I hope I can be forgiven for this lapse in judgment. I mean, there was a major, major firestorm over this while we were gone. Um, In response to it, Lewis deleted all of the social medias on both his Twitter and Instagram accounts. All of them. Wow. Yeah, and, you know, given that Lewis is one of the most popular Formula One drivers on social media, it's a fairly drastic move to to have done this. Yeah. What I'm guessing happened, when you do something like this, in particular something like this, as opposed to posting telemetry results that most people who were looking at didn't understand when you do something like this the trolls come out Mm -hmm. and the knives come out and as a result he is pulled back again well also he may have taken down the offending post but doesn't mean the trolls don't go after every post that he posted yeah and say the same things i mean you've got to stop the bleeding somehow (coughs) now there was a significant development when it comes to social media and Formula One that, while we were gone. Well, up until a few days ago, just two drivers did not have a presence on social media. Sebastian Vettel. And who else? Kimi Raikkonen. That would actually be correct. <laughs> However, um, just after Christmas... An account was created on Instagram with a video message that said this. Hello, everyone. This time I don't know what I'm doing, but let's see what happens. This is my Instagram, so let's see if you want to follow me. Ciao. That's right. Kimi Raikkonen is up on Instagram. 
The account is Kimmy Matthias Raikkonen. He's only got right now, as I look at it and we're recording, two videos and six pictures. Um, they are, one I think is a picture of a fire. One is a video in his living room, which I, I, they're speaking in Finnish. Or, yeah, in Finnish. So I don't know what they're saying. and I don't know who's in it. Um, there's this video that, that we just played the audio from. Um, there's a picture of Kimmy lounging in what appears to be his living room with a rack of his helmets next to him and a picture of him with the family. Huh? And that's it. So we see him becoming a major social media star. Well, I, with six posts, he has 311,000 followers. <laughs> so what do you think? Of course <laughs> I just want to point out that that video is the most coherent I've ever heard Kimmy speak ever. Yeah, so I know. this obviously has to be a fake account. <laughs> this is not the real Kimmy Raikkonen. Yeah. So, Nikki Lauda gave an interview um, just before Christmas with a German TV show, I believe. I can't find who it was with now. Uh, but along with him in this interview was Helmut Marko. Um, they were on a TV show. Uh, why does uh, Service TV on Austrian uh, broadcaster had an interview with them regarding Max, and, and he made comments regarding Max Verstappen, and he kind of poked and prodded a little bit at Helmut Marko, who was there with him. What Nikki had to say was that. When, when asked what had transpired with Mercedes possibly sniffing around Max and Red Bull then turning around and, and giving Max a long-term contract, uh, he was asked by the TV show what had happened, and, and Nikki said, we never offered Max a contract. He, now, Helmut Marco replied officially, yes, they didn't do that. Nikki continued, he said, I have a good relationship to Helmut. We usually share an airplane. But when he is getting stubborn and thinks that something could be taken away from him, he immediately signs a contract. He went to Austin with Yas and signed. <laughs> Directing his words towards Marco, Nikki added, I tell you, if we had talked before, you would have saved money. We never talked to him about money. <laughs> to, Helmet, to which Helmet responded, let's put it this way. No offer. Thanks. Thanks for trying to help us save money. We don't help you. He then pointed out to Louder that you have no alternative for Hamilton. You have to pay him what he demands. To which Nikki replied, all right, I have no objectives. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Those boys. <laughs> so over at Force India, you know, there, there was a big, big flap over there with the drivers. Yes. Well... Otto Safnauer says that both Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon now know how to behave in 2018. Well, that's good. Um, he says that he plans on allowing them to race, uh, but also talked a little more about how things went last year. He said the, the drivers have got a better understanding and have matured enough so that they know and we know how to behave. So next year it should be a lot better. It's funny because you get criticized if you do and criticized if you don't. Some of the media were critical as they said you should have got on top of it earlier. 
we were letting them race. And when we did get on top of it, they were saying, oh, they can't race anymore. Mm -hmm. Looking back, did we strike the balance at the right place? Probably as we got fourth. At the time, I thought we could lose out because the drivers were often coming together and we were losing out on points. In Baku, we lost something like 33 points, and at that point, it was so early in the season that I didn't know or could predict we could be fourth. Now, if you look back, you could say we struck the balance at the right point as we let them race, and then after Spa, we said, let's not. Ah. I think he's got a good point. I mean... It probably wouldn't have been able to hang out in, in fourth if they had taken a different route. Mm, true. True. Hey, have there's been any update as to whether or not they're changing their name? There has not yet. Okay. Um, curious. I Just... think we're probably a couple of weeks away from anything. That's my prediction. Okay. So I, I, I could break out the Honda music, but I'm not. Okay. Um, for some reason, even though he is not running – the program anymore yasuki hasagawa is still talking about the honda f1 program well yeah his needle is stuck yeah apparently he says that they have a backup engine plan for 2018 what's their backup engine plan okay so he says they haven't yet decided next year's complete specification their backup plan however is the current engine. <laughs> now, his argument is that the engine that they finished the season with, and that specification is miles better than what they started the season with, and that it is a much more competitive and much more reliable engine than what they had through nine-tenths of the season. Okay. So that's his argument, is that worst case, if this does not work out, they can fall back on that engine and continue to work on that engine. He says that um, their big problem was that they had changed the specification for the engine over the winter. They had not finalized that specification and had not finalized the design and the requirements come winter testing. Okay. So naturally, things blew up. Naturally. A lot. Over and over and over again. <laughs> Naturally. So they believe they've got the reliability in the engine as they finish the season that if they need to, they can fall back to that engine and still have a chance. Now, granted, you're only talking Toro Rosso. So the expectation is that whatever they get from Honda, they're not going to be winning races anyway. All right. So there is a rumor out there. We shall see. But there is a rumor out there that the Nürburgring has approached Formula One to host a race again. You mean they're not bankrupt still? Apparently not. Okay. Now, th there's also some question as to whether or not the reason why they went bankrupt was because of the stupid deal that Bernie Eccleston forced them into. Okay, also possible. But, you know, now that they don't have to deal with Bernie Eccleston, Nürburgring is interested in attracting Formula One back. Wow. It would be nice to have the German Grand Prix on the calendar every year. It would be. And and I think that if Nürburgring was to come back, it would be similar to the deal that we saw. It would not be a dedicated every single year, a dedicated deal every year like most other tracks. I think in Germany they're going to continue to bounce between the two. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. But if that evens out the costing and makes it worthwhile, but if it could get us the German Grand Prix back every year, I think that's great. 
Yeah. I'm very pro that. So over in IndyCar. Okay. All of our Formula One stuff out of the way. We've talked about it. Let's talk a little IndyCar. Some things to, to look at. You know, IndyCar, essentially the chassis, it's, it's a spec series. The chassis is the same. Everybody runs the same Dallara IR12 car. Well, discussions will start following this year's Indianapolis Grand Prix to replace the car. Oh, really? And, and it's, despite how it was covered and worded from a lot of folks, it's not that they're going to replace the car after the 2018 Grand Prix. It's going to start the talks for 2021. Oh, wow. That's a long development cycle. Yeah. The car is still locked in for 18, 19, and 20. It's figuring out what to do for 2021, and in particular, 2022. Mm. Um, that's really when they want to figure out what they're doing. Um, when they came out with this car uh, several years ago, I want to say it was in 2012. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me. There were a lot of complaints about it because everyone said, shockingly, hey, this is really expensive. <laughs> um, but at this point, they've, they think they've run the life out of this and, and it's ready to look to the future in IndyCar. Mm. So we'll see what they do with that. The, one of the other things that they are talking about, and according to President of Competition and Operations over at IndyCar, Jay Fry, they want a third manufacturer. Really? For it is, according to them, a big goal for IndyCar. What, what manufacturer do you think they could attract? Well, that I don't know. What I didn't realize, and a lot of it is because we weren't following IndyCar back then, the last time they had a third manufacturer was in 2012. And it was Lotus. Oh. And it was a disaster. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So what he says is um, another OEM partner is a huge goal of ours. They all have a three, a five, or a ten-year plan. We can go to them and show them, here's our plan, here's what we're going forward, and here's how it's going to work. I think they appreciate that. But the other thing he thinks um, is going to have an impact is – taking the aero kit development away from the manufacturers oh. he says i think the aero kit piece is a big hurdle to get a new oem to come in because it eliminated a lot of them they weren't really interested in being part of the aero kit process doing that was step one step two is the plan they see that there's been enthusiasm and they're they're curious about what we're doing he says the response so far from manufacturers has been encouraged encouraging I was surprised about how much they know about what we're doing, which is another good indicator that they're paying attention. This doesn't mean that any of them are coming for sure, but there's a couple that I would say are active and we're encouraged by. He believes a third manufacturer could join by 2020, although any prospective party would have to make its intentions clear by early summer. Wow. The other thing that he said is a future goal for them and is a big goal for them is that they want to get international races at the start of the calendars. And right now, the only international race that they've got is uh, Toronto. Mm -hmm. They don't go anywhere else. There was a talk of possibly going to Mexico. That didn't happen. Um, and they haven't been abroad other than 2013 when they were in Sao Paulo. And it, was, it looks like it was a, a street race. So 
San Paolo street race. They haven't, have they gone over seas very often? They used to, they haven't in a while. Um, they believe that February is the best time for the series to go abroad. Um, mainly because of the weather, but also because of domestic competition, because you've got the start of the NASCAR season. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, there's only a handful of places you can actually race in the U.S. in February because of the weather. So if you can go out of the States, start the year for a couple of races in places where the climate is fine in February, then it could be a really good way to start the IndyCar year. Start it overseas and then head, go right off to St. Petersburg for the start of the domestic series. I like it. I mean, I would love IndyCar to become a little bit more international. Yeah, just don't know where they're looking at or when they can start yet, just that it's a goal. Goals are good. Maybe it's on their vision board. Should so, we email them and find <clears throat> out what their vision board looks like for 2018? You know what? Reach out to Doug. I, I could. You know, we're besties now. Yes. Um, one of the things that we're wondering is, is with IndyCar and their vision board is engines. Engines could possibly um formula one style hybrid elements come to indycar in the future could it shockingly honda is against this really? i can't imagine why <laughs> please tell me there's somebody in honda that's going been there done that not good uh, honda performance developments race team principal alan miller says that's not what we're in favor of the architecture of the engine as it is now, a V6 twin turbo with small displacement, we like that and want to keep a similar layout. We don't have a desire or even a marketing reason to want to put a hybrid unit on it. It comes up in discussions, but I don't believe it will go that way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that they, they don't want to happen. I can understand. They've got experience there. They don't want to repeat. Now, one thing that is coming, at least testing in February for IndyCar in Phoenix, uh, they're going to trial their shield cockpit protection system. Um, this is appears to be similar to the shield that we saw Formula One test and everybody go, ooh, no, ick, oh, this is <laughs> awful, it makes us sick, we, we can't see, and... and so I don't know where this is going to go, but the plan is for a single Dallara IR-12 to be fitted with the new system at Phoenix with the current monocoque able to accommodate the shield without extensive modifications. Um, he, Jay Fry says that IndyCar has tested the windshield device behind the scenes in recent months, um, but the goal is to have some sort of application that they feel really good about and is very far along on a car in Phoenix. There's been a lot of simulation, wind tunnel work, modeling, a lot of everything, but we've yet to actually get it on a car. We've had it on a car statically, but we haven't tested it on a car at speed or at a racetrack, so we're diligently working to get it on a car to run at the open test. So, yeah, we'll see what happens, but it does sound like cockpit head protection is coming to IndyCar in some form. Well, I've got to give them credit because... As of the last time we aired the show, we were, and talked about the Halo, mm -hmm. we were talking about how no other series that's open cockpit is even talking about this, and we don't understand why there's such a push for Formula One to do this when the most recent impacts have happened in IndyCar, and IndyCar doesn't seem to be interested at all. Which tells me that IndyCar's been looking at this quietly, 
And instead of having every one of their starts and stops and their moves and designs and ideas run out in front of the press for comment and commentary, IndyCar is just, you know, bebopped along and said, well, this might be something we wanted to do and not said anything until they're closer to the end of it. Yeah. There's some wisdom there, some wisdom that our powers at Formula One could uh, take under advisement. Yeah, I think the politics are a bit bigger over in Formula One than in IndyCar. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the egos are a little bit bigger, too. So So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out and what the report, reports are come February about that and whether or not IndyCar has found whatever the magic piece is that F1 didn't with that, that they dismissed that arrow screen so quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or maybe they'll get it on a car and go, ooh, ick. Uh, there's that possibility, too. I mean, if the drivers hop in it, just like they do with the aero screen, and, and you know, take one look around of it and say that the visibility doesn't work, that, that'll that put a nail in it pretty quick. Yeah, that will. So that's all we got. No, we got one more thing. We do. We have a review. We do? We do. Okay. You forgot? It was in the outline of the show. Wait, we don't have an outline of the show. There you go. That's why I'm trying to figure this out because it wasn't in anything that we discussed beforehand. So Okay, so while we were away, mm -hmm. I did some reading. I did some learnings. Oh, about your book. Yes. Okay. <laughs> How quickly you forgot. Got it. Got it. There were, it wasn't in the notes. There are no notes. That's my point. <laughs> So anyway, um, in prepping for, <laughs> as we lovingly call it, content and entertainment for our travels, um, I found a book on Amazon called Speed Girl, the Janet Guthrie story. Mm -hmm. And it chronicled the story of Janet Guthrie. Do you know who Janet Guthrie is? Well, after our dinner on the ship, I do now. The one I where didn't, I told you I all about her? Yes, I didn't before, but I do now. Well, I had never heard of her, not being an IndyCar fan in the early 70s because I was a baby. Well, yeah. um, but had no interest in sports, let alone motorsports. I didn't have an interest in, you know, walking <laughs> in the early 70s. So, you know. Um, so anyway, she was a pioneering woman in motorsports, period. Um, raced in both a, a multitude of amateur series, based Indy and NASCAR. Um, phenomenal driver, phenomenal um, in her own right. Um, but the story that is told in Speed Girl is, while interesting and fascinating, I would not recommend the book unless you are very, very bored. Ouch. Yeah, it was a little dull. It probably could have been a short story and not a full-on book. Okay. Well. But it's a story worth the knowledge worth of knowing. it happen happening. But there's got to be a better way that you can get the synopsis than um, the hyper detail I went through. Okay. By comparison, I have not finished it yet, so you're not getting a review. I am currently reading Jensen Button's autobiography, Life at the Limit. Um, it is very much reads as this, this is Jensen's words and not the ghostwriter. Um, so it, it has been so far pretty entertaining. 
Well, JB is. Yeah. Um, it is surprising as I go through it, the names that come across that he has raced against at one level or another. Mm. Um, you know, he, he was carding against the likes of uh, Dan Weldon, who died in IndyCar. And, um, oh, I'm all of a sudden drawing a blank. The Justin Owen? Justin Wilson. Justin Wilson, the one that died recently? Yeah, in Pocono. He carded against both of them in the same series at the very junior of the junior junior levels. Oh. Yes. And both of those were like leading the series until Jensen came in kind of a thing. Um, and when he moved up a level in carding, uh, Johnny Herbert, who is now a uh, commentator for, Spot, for Sky, had just started his Formula One career. And that series was being covered on TV. Johnny Herbert was doing the commentary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it, he, he's apparently raced against uh, Jos Verstappen, um, Jos Verstappen's wife, and Max. <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. I mean... <laughs> well, I guess if you've been around those circuits for long enough... Uh-huh. Um, you had to have come across some of these great names. Um, he, he talks about the first time he met K.K. Rosberg, he was trying. He, he was on one of these promotional tours with the F1 teams trying to get his name out there, and Schmooze, he wasn't driving yet. He, met, he meets K.K. at a track at, at one of these events, which is also when he met Nico. Nico, who was probably at the time somewhere around five to six years old and was tugging at his dad because he was doing exactly what you would expect a five or six year old to do in a situation where there's a ton of adults and they're talking about adult stuff and business and things that are not interesting to a five and six year old and Jensen's like and all I can remember is looking at Nico going just go away kid I'm trying to do my thing here you know <laughs> <laughs> which is the same thing he told Nico for the next several years <laughs> just go away kid yeah <laughs> um no, I'm looking forward to reading that book as well as Mark Weber has come out with a book um, that I'm also looking forward to reading. His book came out last year. I still haven't read it. Okay. But, you know, Speed Girl, don't put it on the top of your list, but get a synopsis. Maybe there's a cliff notes of it. All righty. So one of the other things that we should get better about doing in the new year is closing the show. Okay. With that reminder that we are on Facebook. You we can are. check us out over there. Um, just look up The Bloke and the Bird Show. We are there. And, uh, you know, you can always comment, whether it's over on Facebook or on the website at www.theblokeandabird.com. And on that, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.